1: G'day and welcome to the call for this Tuesday, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Tuesday, the 3rd of May. Let's introduce our guests for this hour. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool and Chris Conway from Marcus Today. Gentlemen, a very good afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Let's take a look at where we're at just as far as the market's concerned. Hey, Scott, what are you making Mm. of this and, and how
2: are you playing it at the moment or are you just sitting tight? Uh, Andrew. Good day. Yeah, it's Funny old market, isn't it? Been all over the place. Tell you what, though, it's been less volatile than the US. They've had some really, really big moves over the past two or three weeks. I think traders really trying to work out where to sit in this market, given the, the circumstances, given the inflation interest rate palaver that we continue to go through, given the challenges of, in particular, tech valuations. And that's been the big driver. of the tech names now. Some of the biggest companies in the US are literally the biggest. And so where they go, goes the market. That's given them more volatility than us. Uh, funnily enough, we could only be in miners and banks, not a great time to be in tech. So the ASX having a less volatile time of it. And of course, this afternoon, the RBA interest rate decision, which I know you'll cover in AusBiz. And so it's a real question of kind of where traders want to be. Long term investors, how am I applying it? Same as always looking for value. I will say, I think there's a lot of value in the unloved stuff right now, but you've got to have a cast iron stomach. Um, Some of my favorite businesses are down 10, 20, 30, 40% over the past six months, just because the market seems to have changed its mind. That's fair enough, as long as you've got the the stomach and the time to see it out. Um, But a really interesting and and a pretty rough time if you're an investor in tech or in growth, or even some of those companies that just simply aren't the and air quotes Uh, From growth to value, that seems to be the driver of the market. If you're not there already, uh, you're probably nursing some red right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, Chris, your thoughts, obviously, with that macro picture at the moment, uh, given where inflation is going, um, where monetary policy is heading. We'll find out, as Scott said there, uh, a little later this afternoon, locally at least. Uh, Are you seeing some opportunity, particularly in the value space at the moment?
0: Uh, not quite just uh, yet, Andrew. I mean, look, there's always opportunity out there, and Scott spoke to it, but just in terms of the uh, the SMAs that we manage here at Marcus today, we've dialed up the cash levels a bit. We haven't specifically gone out and said to ourselves, we think things are risky. Let's run the cash level up to X percent. But we certainly have seen uh, certain companies fall out of our factor model coverage, and that by default means that they need to be removed from the portfolio. And the sum total of working our processes has meant that we've, uh, as I say, ended up with about 10% cash in both our growth uh, and our income portfolios. We're pretty comfortable with that positioning. Big week ahead, obviously, we've got the RBA today. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the Fed on Thursday morning, our time. And just with regard to the Fed, over about the last six months or so, it's generally been the rule that post FOMC, so post decisions uh, by the uh, Federal Open Market, Market Committee, we've seen U.S. markets rally. And it's generally been, again, over the last six months that it's the Fed meeting minutes, which have caused markets to turn lower. So hopefully that pattern continues. Hopefully with the RBA and the Fed out of the way come Friday morning, uh, sorry, Thursday morning, our time, I should say, uh, it creates some more certainty and we get a bit of a relief rally. Because certainly, as Scott was saying, equities have been sold down quite aggressively.
1: Yeah, it'd be great to get some certainty at this point. Absolutely. All right, (laughs) let's uh, just preview the first five stocks we're going to cover in this hour Yoji, Aeris Resources, Washington Oats, Sol Pats, Regional Express, and Satire. And our stock of the day is Woolies. It's uh, reported a close to 10% jump in third quarter sales as it benefits from consumer stockpiling in the early part of the quarter. Sales coming in at $15 billion, up from 12 a year ago with the biggest segment Australian food seeing a 5% rise there and the company noting it was hit by labor shortages and supply chain disruptions due to the flood uh, but increased consumer spending and rising inflation also boosting sales it's also been hit just as far as its workforce is concerned with COVID unsurprisingly shares um, they initially dipped in early morning trade they've since come back so as you can see they're up about 0.8 of a percent so what are our guests think and I uh, should also note that, of course, it's, uh, it's Big W business is the sore point at the moment. It continues to struggle, uh,
0: 3.5% drop in revenue there. Chris, your thoughts on Woolies? Yeah, the numbers today uh, look pretty good, Andrew, through what, as you just described, has been a difficult period for uh, all of the staples. Uh, the 9%, sorry, the 9.7% growth uh, and the 4.4% growth uh, specifically in their supermarkets division. Some of the shine taken off that with the uh, inflation of 2.7% over the period was better than Coles, however. They came at 3.3% in terms of inflation across the food business. I generally like staples at the moment, uh, probably because the the federal budget should provide about an $8 billion boost to household disposable income between uh, this financial year and next financial year, and supermarkets generally get a, a fair share of that. Of course, some of the measures were specifically designed to alleviate the cost pressures that families are feeling out there at the moment. And just from a historical perspective, staples tend to outperform during periods of monetary tightening. So generally like the staples, Woolworths was pretty good today. I would prefer Coles, however, uh, just because it's starting from a little bit further back uh, and they've got the opportunity to spend some money significantly on their, on their stores uh, and claw back some of that market share that they've lost to Woolworths over the journey. Okay,
1: so you take that as a hold?
0: Yeah, a hold. Yep.
1: Yep. Okay. Scott, how are you feeling about staples at the moment? I guess more specifically Woolworths.
2: Yeah, and I, I don't mind the staples business. Uh, as Chris says, the challenge I think is valuation for both these businesses. I don't particularly love you paying, what, 32 times for Woolies at the moment. That's a pretty rich multiple to play for that safety or that potential outperformance. Now, if it does outperform you, better off maybe being there than elsewhere. Um, but from a really elevated level, I think it's a really tough ask for Woolies. Pretty good results. Uh, nice 5.7% growth uh, in their food and liquor business, which was pretty good. Uh, food inflation of 2.7%. So about half of that growth coming from food in price inflation. And you've got to kind of adjust for that when looking at volumes going through those stores. It's what you expect from Woolies. You know uh, adjusted for inflation call it three percent volume growth give or take that's a pretty decent result it's never going to be spectacular because coles and Woolies have this business between them uh of course there's the other players but realistically the big guys are where it's at and you're going to go roughly at the rate of population and gdp a bit of a bit of kind of you know um uh, food volume growth but with us all going back to restaurants cafes eating out all that kind of stuff i would have expected this sort of result pretty good result actually given that circumstance it might have even been a smaller number so pretty credible But again, do you pay 30 times earnings for a business doing that? I don't really think you do. Uh, So I don't love it. Great business, really high quality business. Woolies is one of those businesses I'd happily buy whenever you get a bargain, whenever you get offered a good price to get it. Shares were 20 odd dollars not that many years ago. A great opportunity then if you wanted to buy a really safe, secure, very well run, um, great brand, all that kind of stuff. So very much high on the quality list. Can't buy it at the current price, but they can't do much more than what they did. A very good result for Woolies shareholders today.
1: All right. That is Woolies, our stock of the day. Let's get into your picks for this Tuesday. Uh, the first one, Karen wanted to know about Yoji, uh, saying, uh, well, she's yeah interested to know what your thoughts are there. It is the logistics software company platform facilitates the flow of freight movements um, and with the intention of reducing its uh, carbon emissions. Now, due to COVID, there was a, an acceleration Obviously, digitally, we saw that providing strong tailwinds for Yoji. However, now it's facing the headwinds. Share price has since collapsed. Scott, thoughts on Yoji?
2: Yeah, this is a really tough one. A new, very, very young business trying to innovate in that freight logistics space. It looks it's a really attractive space to be in if you're a disruptor and you think you have the solution. We've seen Wise WiseTech Global talk about that in a little while. Um, but it's a business that is in the same kind of idea. There's so many different senders, so many different receivers. Freight is incredibly, incredibly important and getting more important over time. Uh, think about the logistics required, number of hands these things pass through, keeping track of what's going on, make it simple, easy, keeping paperwork down. It's a, really, it's a really attractive idea and incredibly fragmented. If you want to be a disruptor and you want to go and get a market, make a change and then own some of that market, a very big market, this is a great way and a great place to do it. That's the promise. That's the upside. This is a $180 million business with no profit, though. And so you ask yourself, you know, do we have enough confidence, enough certainty, enough outlook to say this is going to be one of the winners in that space? Problem with disruption is that it's a really, really hard thing to do. In hindsight, we look back at the winners and say that was obvious. We don't always remember all of those who fell by the wayside on the way through. So I like the industry. I like this space. I like that it's doing that disruption. I think someone will do very, very, very well in this space um, if. The balance falls the way it might, and providing the software that enables that is an attractive place to be. I can't, though, at the current level uh, with no profitability and a really small business, one to watch, one to keep an eye on. Uh, It would be speculative, in my view, to buy it right now. Pure speculation uh, based on where the price might go next. The market isn't in love with it, as frankly. These sort of charts we're going to see on all these tech and growth stocks over the last six months, just the way the market's treating anything that's not making a profit and can't be relied on. Um, so you've got to allow, to some degree, I think the market dynamic rather than just the company. If that turns around as a sentiment, then yes, maybe Yoji does well almost by definition just by uh, a rising tide lifting all boats. Uh, but on a company level, I don't think this is one you want to be buying just yet until it delivers a bit more in terms of sales, growth, momentum and some ideally profitability or a path in that direction.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, Chris, your thoughts then? Uh, yeah, we've seen that share price collapse, but as uh, Scott points out there, early days for the company, really.
0: Yeah, I would, I would echo everything that Scott said. Very nice summary of the business. I mean, if, you, if you're buying a company like this, you're taking a flyer. And, and again, Scott talked about <laughs> WiseTech, and we'll have a closer look at that later. What you might be looking for here is if you wanna have a crack at Yogi is uh you know potentially positioning it or thinking that it might be taken out by WiseTech because we know that WiseTech has been on a very aggressive acquisition trail and has gobbled up a lot of these smaller players uh they are making some noise in the space by by their reckoning they have four of the top uh 10 global logistics providers they've got 100 plus leading trunk uh, trucking companies and they claim that they can save 30% in fuel and cost savings and time traveled so you know, they've got some nice metrics there. They're presenting a nice story of the business. Uh, like Scott said, not profitable, very speculative. Um, but if you are going to buy it, then uh, like I said, you might just look for that wise deck angle or a bigger player taking it out. But for me, uh, I just don't invest in businesses at this stage of their uh, uh, of their journey. So um, it would be, uh, uh, well, be a sell for me. A, well, a big
1: no, but in fact a sell. Okay, all right, take that. Big, big no, yeah. yeah, okay. All right. Moving on, Eris Resources. Uh, Stewart saying, I took a position, medium-sized nibble, a few months ago after hearing the outlook from the call. Uh, just announced the purchase of another miner, Round Oak Minerals, through Solpats. In fact, we'll be covering that in just a moment. Uh, who end up with a 30% stake. Solpats are no dummies, says Stuart. So they must also think the outlook is very good for a potentially bigger, more diversified miner. Would you agree? with that uptrend uh he said a thing i might participate in the one for 4.22 share placement and increase to a bigger nibble almost a full bite perhaps chris
0: is it worthwhile yeah it's certainly interesting and uh, stuart's right sole parts are no dummies we'll talk about them in just a moment and uh, their investment success over the journey uh, just uh, again to Stuart's question, uh, I think he's asking about the momentum of the business rather than the share price, but the share price certainly isn't in an uptrend, uh, but generally you're not buying these sorts of companies because the share price is doing exactly what you want it to do. You're buying them because you think that over the journey uh, the value will increase dramatically. Um, just back on the transaction, it does combine two complementary businesses and it creates uh, what will ultimately be a nice mid-tier miner with base and precious metals. Uh, and a fairly diverse portfolio, so the the sum looks pretty interesting. Um, the alternative, however, is that there's a million of these sort of companies here in Australia, um, you know, young, uh, up and coming mining uh, and uh, and development companies. So it's take your pick of you know 50 that could be out there. This is one that looks relatively interesting and has got the backing of some big players, um, but it's no more than a hold for me. Again, I just don't really like investing in businesses at this stage of their cycle so um, um, I like the I like the sole Pats angle um, but I don't uh, necessarily want to be in this business at this point in time okay Scott yeah soul Pat's given there and just does that
1: interest you?
2: Uh, look, it does, um, because Solpats now end up being a 30% shareholder in the enlarged business. That's a pretty good place to be and a pretty good uh, backing for the company. Worth saying, of course, that this is about Solpats getting some, I should describe as a Solpats shareholder, and we'll talk about that. But in that context, just know that I am a Solpats shareholder. Um, moving forward in terms of what Solpats was doing, it's an exit for them of sorts. Would they have preferred a listing, a, a spin-off on the ASX? Maybe. Would they prefer to sell the entire thing for cash? Maybe. We can't know. So without knowing the, the motivation of Solpats themselves, they get some money from this, by the way. The are not companies just being pushed into errors; They're actually taking some cash off the table. Was this the best way they could get some exposure to, uh, you know, some, some value for their holding? Maybe. In which case, it's not exactly that they went out on the market and they bought a third of the business outright. Now, they like Round Oak. Solpats having run. Round Oak, you, know, you can assume it's a high-quality business, and they've, they've done it the best way possible. Robert Milner, the chairman of Solpats, being on the board of Aeris is going to make sure the Solpats approach um, is at least represented on the Aeris board. That's also a, a big positive for me. I don't, I, a bit like Chris, I think you know the, the rest of the Aeris business is probably the, uh, the unknown piece. I will say, as uh, Solpats having a stake in that, it makes me much more comfortable than if they weren't there. We know their reputation for uh, long-term focus, value management. They're not going to muck around, uh, and there's no, not going to be any wasted money there. So from those perspectives, I like the fact, if you if you liked it before, I personally would like it even more now that Solpats is involved. It gives you that sense that, um, that there's someone there, kind of not that AERIS's own management board wasn't great, uh, but if you like the Solpats reputation, then you get a sense they're now, keeping a very close eye on the AERIS business. So yes, I think net-net, Oak inside AERIS, having Solpats as a shareholder and on the board are all absolute positives. That being said, it doesn't seem obviously cheap to me. And again, if we knew that Solpats were doing it because they desperately wanted part of AERIS, that'd be different. If they're doing it because AERIS was the only or best way to recognize some value for their shareholding, then to some degree, it's the least worst option they could have taken rather than the absolute best option. I'd love to know the answer to that from Solpats before I felt much better about it. So, yeah, if I, look, if I owned it, if I, if I was a Solpats shareholder, or I am, I'm not unhappy that Solpats has a stake in it, uh, but it's almost a, a Solpats play rather than an heiress play for me, so at best a hold. Okay,
1: all right. Well, let's go there then. We keep talking about Solpats <laughs> given its investment. So that is yeah. our third stock. It is that investment house uh, owning a diversified portfolio across different sectors, uh, mm-hmm. and it's... Uh, in sectors such as tel- uh, telecommunications, building products, uh, resources, ag, financial services, certainly is diversified. Uh, Sandra, mm. wanting to know about this, what's happened with it over the past six months? Why has there been a substantial drop? Which mm. way is it likely headed from here? Well, that is the big question.
2: Uh, Scott, <laughs> do you have an answer? It is a 60 dollars question, Andrew. And if I knew, I'd be very, very, very rich and I would mortgage everything and throw it and sell yeah. pats if I knew it was going to go up. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't know where it's going. Let's go to Sandra's first question, or the first part of the question, which is, why has it fallen? It's a comment we get a lot, and it's not an unreasonable one. The The starting point, though, was we kind of say, well, the last price was, whatever it was, $40. It's now $26. Why has it fallen? We don't kind of ask, well, why was it $40 in the first place? And I say that only because it's a really important way to think about share prices. If you go back even longer, you say, wow, well, why is it up so much? Since those cheaper prices of $10, $11, $13 a share, it becomes a case of what they call the base effect. So picking a starting point and saying it's down from there or it's up from there, what's going on? Often we know because the market tends to get it right over the super long term, but can be really volatile in the short term. Was 40 ever justified? Was it a reasonable price or was today the right price and it was the right price back then? I think that's probably closer to the story. So I'll $40 got up to really, really high multiples of its book value, of its earnings, and arguably, or at least... Uh, let, let's just there's a little optimism in the share price at that level. I own shares right through that period. I didn't sell any at that point, so I've been on the same journey as Sandra has, if she owns the shares. It's uh, just a, basically a, a function of the market rather than a function of the company. If you're looking for answers, Brickworks, the building materials business, possibly on the nose. Uh, we know that the the coal business has had highs and lows in terms of pricing, but that seems to have come back recently. I will say that's what I think makes Solpats a bargain at 26 bucks. So it's a strong buy for me. I own it. I have for years. I expect to for years. One of the very, very, very few bottom draw stocks on the ASX. So I like the company a lot. I like its management. I like its management approach, that long-term value approach. Robert Milner, for those who don't know, is the fourth generation of the family to run the company in more than a century. Um, So this is is a family business, effectively. Not quite a founder-owner because that was 100-odd years ago. But they're run as a family business with all of the good stuff that comes with it. Some people, by the way, don't like the fact that Milner's have a cast iron grip on this business. For mine, if you don't like it, don't invest in it. Um, If you like it, you like it because they've done a fantastic job of delivering growth. Uh, The dividends have not been cut in more than two decades. One of, I think, only five or six companies on the ASX that can boast that sort of record. So this is a bottom draw stock. I think it's available for a very good price. It's 12 or 13 times earnings at the moment. Um, those earnings can be can be quite volatile because they do have plenty of different businesses as you are saying. if the coal business is on the <laughs> blink or, or or something else not doing so well or doing really really well you get a lot of volatility in it but this is a really really solid uh, bottom draw stock for me a decent portfolio of holding if you want a cornerstone position for any, any portfolio I think Solpac is a great one to 80 and it's a, it's a buy for me
1: that is a definitive buy from Scott Chris do you agree
0: I certainly do. Scott and I often agree on these sorts of things and I very much <laughs> like uh, Pats as well. I like it even more at 26 as opposed to 40 like mm-hmm. Scott was saying and once again agree that I think the market just got a little bit ahead of itself. I don't think it was anything to do with the company. I think the market got a little bit ahead of itself. Probably shouldn't have been trading at 40, but back at 26, uh, I think this is a great opportunity to buy a very, very good business that has an exceptional track record of delivering returns. Uh, we need look no further for that fact than the fact that the last time out that they raised uh, their dividend, it was the 24th consecutive increase uh, in <laughs> interim dividends. So these guys just have an exceptional track record. Uh, and I think you're being presented with a great opportunity right now to buy the company at a compelling price. So strong buy from me as well. And let's put it to the committee if it's not already in the Ausbiz portfolio.
1: Well, I think it's heading that way. It's got it given you both put a, a big buy on it. Um, Chris, is it the diversity of the company that's the key here, just in what they're investing in?
0: Well, it is, but it's also uh, Solpat's management's ability to uh, pick, the right, pick the right horse at the right time yeah. uh, and, uh, and extract value from it. So, of course, they're not only listed in ASX businesses. I was just uh, in doing my research. Obviously, they've sold that heiress uh, or sold part of it. Uh, but they bought Amp Control, uh in the last week or so as well. So they're actively doing deals in the private market and in the, the listed market as well. They already owned about 43% of uh, Amp Control. It's the largest private owned electrical engineering company in Australia, EBITDA of about 45 million. So they've taken their stake in that uh, to the full 100% and taken it out. So that's what these guys do. They're just constantly scouring, looking for great opportunities in the private or in the public domain. Uh, and squeezing value out of everything that they touch. So, again, and the track record speaks for itself. So, um, yeah, hope that answers the question, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. All right, good one. Let's
1: move on to uh, an airline, Regional Express. Uh, Reese wanting to know about this, particularly in the thoughts of the deal with Delta, the American airline. Uh, They have connected to leverage each other's networks, essentially. And, uh, of course, this comes off the back of an update from Qantas, one of its... Competitors, uh, we got that update yesterday. Uh, obviously, seeing demand for travel increasing, particularly in the international sector, that's not really going to affect um, Rex. However, this deal with uh, Delta could, Chris, thoughts on
0: Rex? I don't generally like uh, airlines, Andrew, and I like them even less when oil prices are where they are at the moment. So, um, uh, you know, putting that to one side, I would say that the deal uh that rex has done with delta is a good one it's seemingly on the face of it a fairly odd pairing you know delta's got 900 planes rex has 63 and only i think it's six of them are jets uh but what's happened recently just some moving parts and background virgin dropped delta last december in favor of united airlines leaving delta with uh, without uh you know connecting routes here in australia and some 20 percent of delta passengers continue to other, other australian destinations after landing in sydney so uh, it's, it's it's a great deal for Rex um, uh, uh, going both ways uh, and it will undoubtedly increase traffic and demand on their services. and it's sort of announced you know Rex has been out there for a while wanting to announce itself as you know growing and being a bigger player um, and landing this deal is certainly a step in the right direction. So the announcement itself I think is a very good one uh, but like I said, I just don't particularly like airlines in general and uh, oil prices are through the roof so, uh, it would be a hold for me uh, at best. Okay.
1: Um, yeah, Scott, just wondering if you, you had that sentiment as far as airlines are concerned, same as Chris there, you know, particularly given where fuel, uh, fuel prices have gone.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's right. Even on a long-term basis, Rex was one of the very first businesses I wrote about when I joined the Motley Fool 11 years ago. And I think the share price was $1.05 or $1. ten back then. And We're sitting at $1, what, $1. thirty now, $1.29. Um, it goes to show how hard it is to run an airline I'm a big rap on Alan Joyce. If you can run an airline for the, as long as Joyce has and not go broke, and I don't mean that li- anyway, uh, you know, as a, as a joke, it's it, literally. If you can keep an airline afloat for a decade in you know, when you're running it, that's a remarkable result. Uh, Rex similarly have managed to keep themselves afloat. It is really hard to do in the airline space. They are terrible, terrible businesses. So if you can do that, when most in the U.S. most airlines have gone broke three or four times uh, in their lives, they've merged and demerged, they've gone broke, they've come back. It's just a really really tough business as chris highlighted so you know full credit to these guys for running these businesses you know running fast just to stand still is kind of the story you think when you think of those airlines so good result that from that perspective does that make it a great investment almost certainly not now in hindsight you might look back and pick some peaks and troughs um maybe if you're lucky it's a very very hard thing to do i like the deal with delta i like rex as an airline um you know, i've flown rex plenty of times you know it's a, it's a great business does it make it investable i just don't think it does this is the challenge where are you going to get market beating returns from from rex let's assume the market goes up 10 percent a year from here over the last decade or so it's probably gone up what two percent a year maybe if you compound that um, why is it going to be different in the future this deal is a good one with delta it just doesn't change it doesn't move the dial meaningfully the capital city is also positive maybe they can grow as the price fighter uh, some scale benefits and you're small can actually accrue to the bottom line pretty quickly but if the big guys can't make any money, the little guys have got to do something really, really special to make it work. I'd love to say Australia's regional airline is, is a great investment. I'd love to be able to put the uh, you know put the hand up and say, yep, these guys are, are going to be in for a great time or they're going to bring it to the big guys and do really, really well. I just don't think you can. It's a really, really tough thing. There is so much capacity. As Chris said, oil prices really high anyway. Even at lower prices, though, the, the lower costs get factored into fares really fast. So high, high costs, high fares, low margins, low costs, low, low fares, low margins. Um, it just tends to be the way these things work. It's a hyper-competitive market, wonderful for consumers. It's the way capitalism's supposed to work. Just not gonna make a lot of excess returns for shareholders, I don't think. Um, I'd love to say yes, but this one's a no for me.
1: A no, okay, that is regional express, Rex. <laughs> yep. All right, let's uh, move on to online uh, designer fashion. Lee wanting to know about satire, saying, I've been mm. crushed over the past six months, which I do not have a problem with. I uh, bought with a long-term view. Uh, I don't pay attention to the short-term fluctuations. That's great. However, what he does have an issue with is the fact that the founder sold down at $1.35 in March mm. when the previous highs were $4.30 in November, uh, saying that he sold about 9% of the issued capital, currently obtains about 57% of issued capital. His interpretation is that the founder values the company at $1.35. Um, would appreciate the, your thoughts on uh, insider selling and when to
2: sell out in general. Scott. I love this question because insider selling is one of those things that I, it, it seems to be an obvious one. And there are plenty of examples of where it was and where it wasn't. My favorite example of inside selling is Marcus Blackmore, uh, my former boss, by the way, I worked at Blackmore's in a past life, but also uh, the majority owner of, or, the, or the single largest owner, I should say, of, of Blackmore's shares. Sold shares at $32 to buy a yacht, which I think is just fantastic, right? You've got the money, go for it, buy yourself a yacht, life is short. At the time, oh, Marcus Blackmore was selling. He must think something's going wrong. The shares subsequently went to 220 dollars He literally you know, could have bought that yacht for a tenth of the price, at least in terms of foregone shares, had he waited a little bit longer. Now, shares then subsequently come back down. We assume that founders, we assume that directors or insiders somehow know something about the future of share prices. Rosalind Kogan, I own mean, Cogan shares, uh, sold his shares, I think, at $9 from memory. They then went to $25. Now they're back to 4 Did he know something or did he not know something? What, you know, what's really going on? Often the challenge for that is that, as they say, directors or insiders sell for many reasons, but only tend to buy for one. If you're selling your shares in satire, you've probably made a small fortune. You probably wanna go and pay off the house. You probably wanna go buy a holiday house, buy a yacht, buy a car, diversify your investments. I got no issue with a CEO doing that. Do I feel better if they don't? Yes, of course. You know, if, if, if they are waking up, sweating every morning, thinking, man, I better do well, otherwise my whole life is gone, I'm going bankrupt. You better bet it focuses the mind. If you've got other assets, other pursuits, well, maybe you're slightly less driven. To, to deliver the best result, but as you say, Andrew, still at 57% of the business. Whether or not you got 57 or 60, was it 66%? Probably not that different in terms of the way you think about the business. So. I I like Setire's uh, operation, I like its ambitions. A little bit like Yoji we mentioned before, super, super early in its life cycle. I don't own shares, I have bought shares, but I do like what they're doing. If you can deliver growth into a global market and be relevant and think about luxury brands here, um, I think it's a really, really interesting model. I do like what they're doing. I think you've got a pretty good chance of doing reasonably well. This is a fast growing space. If you can get the global uh, reach of these brands and use it to drive your e-commerce business, you're in for a pretty good business, I think. But there are plenty of others doing it out there and doing it as well or better. So it's an open question for me whether they can get enough scale to be consistently profitable and justify the current price. But if I, I own shares, uh, gee, you've done well, I think it was Lee, um, to, to, to be able to ride that wave. It's been a really, really horrible fall from almost five bucks. Um, but that's where we find ourselves. Now, I don't see that much wrong with the business. If you, if you liked it back then... Yeah, you're unhappy with the share price. Are you unhappy with the performance? I don't think you are. The growth has been good. It seems to be an ongoing story. Whatever thesis you had six, 12 months ago, because the business itself is no worse, I don't think you should change your view. That being said, I wouldn't buy it now. It's a bit too rich for me, a bit too speculative, but I do like it. It's one of my very short list of stocks that, if and when they deliver some sustainable momentum and it looks like profit is not too far away and then growing from there, this is one i definitely consider buying.
1: Yeah, okay, so you're keeping an eye on it, in other words.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, Chris, yeah, just as far as that issue of those insiders, you know, selling down, does that raise alarm bells for
0: you? Uh, No, it doesn't. Uh, In my notes that I'd written, uh, you know, Scott's talked to uh, people buying yachts. I talked to, uh, you know, maybe the owner wants to buy a Ferrari or a trophy home up there in (laughs) Sydney. So you never know why these guys are selling. Um, He's pocketed $47 million dollars. This is a business that he's probably spent 10 or 15 years building mm, mm. Uh, and he wants to take a, a bit of cash off the table and he's still got 57 of the company so i don't think you can read into him thinking that the company's valued at a dollar 35 per share he probably is, is kicking himself that he didn't sell in the fours um and maybe mm. uh he just wanted to pocket some cash like i said so i can't really comment intelligently on the reason why i will sell out um, as for the business itself, uh, I must admit, I must, uh, I must be getting old, I know I'm getting old. I've never really understood this one. Um, it's super expensive clothes aimed at, uh, I think, I, I believe people younger than me. Uh, and some of the prices on the website, you know, I was looking at a, a pink hoodie, so something that my wife might wear for $285 down from the bargain basement price of $353. So that was a sale price. I don't know how many people out there are rocking $285 pink hoodies, but uh, it's certainly not the the universe that I live in. Uh, and then, of course, you know we're ex-pandemic, so there was a little lot of people sitting at home, perhaps with that sort of cash that they wanted to spend on their on their threads. Uh, but now, with everything opening up, there's more competition for discretionary dollars. And let's not forget that we're also moving into a higher interest rate environment, uh, and it potentially will get even tougher from here for SETI. So. Um, You know, like I said, maybe I just don't get this one. Maybe I'm too old, um, but it's not a business that I would want to buy.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Good explanation. I can't really see you in a hoodie, particularly a pink one. But if your (laughs) wife likes it, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's uh, let's sum up where we've been for the first five stocks. In fact, we started with our stock of the day. That was Woolies. Uh, Chris saying he actually prefers Coles, but does like the staples, particularly in this current environment. It's a hold. Uh, Scott saying, uh, look, uh no not particularly at this point uh challenging valuations but it is a high quality business our first stock as picked by you was uh, yoji uh and uh scott's saying an attractive idea this is in a logistics software area uh, but not profitable so pretty speculative he's saying no and uh, chris saying uh, maybe a target of wisetech something to look out for we'll cover that a bit later uh, that's a no from him, or a sell. Aeris Resources, uh, and we've uh, talked about Sol Pats involvement there. Uh, Chris has got a hold on it. Uh, Scott's saying he does like it, but it's not cheap. He's got a hold on it also. Uh, now, we're speaking about Washington Sol Pats there, uh, Scott's saying uh, he owns it. Uh, perhaps overpriced last year has come off significantly, uh, but he got a strong buy on it, as does Chris. He likes it particularly at this price regional express the airline's difficult business as we know particularly with the fuel price going up and chris saying he doesn't like airlines so he does have a hold on it uh, Scott saying it is a, such a hard business to be in that's a no from him and finally there satire the online designer fashion well we just heard what chris had to say he doesn't really understand why you're buying these items online it's a no and scott's saying he uh, does like its ambitions but uh, not now too speculative all right, let's uh, take a look at where we're at just as far as the call. It's tracking it. we're our, our own uh, high conviction fund, which is uh, picked by our investment committee. The next episode is uh, going live at ausbiz.com this afternoon, in fact. So before you tune in to find out what updates the committee has made, let's check in with where the portfolio stands at the moment. JB Hi-Fi, Pro Medicus, Linus and Incitec Pivot, they were added to the fund this month. Well, in fact, that was last month. Joining the original stocks and 20% held in cash. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes. So far, the fund down 1.8% on a cumulative return basis since its inception at the beginning of March. So keep sending in your requests, keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. All right, let's keep going. Our x five, Wisetech, Lake Resources, Macquarie, Imogene, and Booktopia. All right, let's start with Wisetech. Jane wanting to know about this. It does provide software solutions to the logistics industry globally. Interesting. we were just talking about this. Founder Richard White has been selling down his holdings. Why? Well, once again, it may be a pretty simple reason. Chris, your thoughts on Wisetech?
0: I've always liked uh, WiseTech Andrew. They solve a, a real problem and it's a problem that's uh, dominating the global landscape at the moment and that's supply chain efficiency. Uh, they've done a very good job as I was talking about earlier in reference to Yoji of gobbling up smaller players and doing a lot of bolt on acquisitions. Uh, even with all the supply chain disruption that we've seen uh, over the last uh, you know, 12 months and even into 2022, their cargo-wise platform, this is WiseTech's cargo-wise platform, experienced record usage. Their clients are very, very sticky. They have about a 99% retention rate, and they've got some huge clients. You know, we're talking airlines, Mitsubishi Motors, Swissport Cargo Services, uh, DHL. Uh, so they're very much embedded in that global supply chain story and narrative. And by all reports, uh, their product is is loved by the people that use it. So. Uh, I, I actually quite like it at this price. It's down at 42. Uh, obviously, it's off the highs from uh, late December, early January, which were around $60. So again, I think you're being presented with a, a, a pretty good opportunity to buy what I think is a great company at a reasonable price. I know it's not a conducive environment for high PE uh, tech names, and Tech is certainly one of those. But like I said, the fact that they're actually suvi- uh, solving a, a real world and current problem Um, their cash flow positive and they make a profit as well Uh, and then they've still got the uh, the growth option of of acquiring more businesses just lends me to thinking that um, you know I I think it's a worthwhile opportunity buying at this of price all right
1: good one that's a buy from you then Scott uh, do you agree I guess for those reasons outlined by Chris but also given where that share price is at right now
2: yeah, it's a funny one, Andrew. I looked at the share price when we were preparing for the show and shares are by a third. You think, wow, it must be cheap. You say, hang on, it's still 88 times earnings. So sometimes it's possible something to fall meaningfully and still look really expensive. The, the key word there is look expensive because as Chris mentioned, as we talked about with Yoji, this is a really, really, really massive industry. And it's so incredibly fragmented that WiseTech is one of the leaders with a single-digit market share. If you can become one of, if not the standard, for the way information is shared, for freight forwarders across the world. And again, we said at the top of the show how frequently people are sending freight around the world. Just we want to know what's going on, where it is, when it's going to be there, which hands it's going through, and do it well, do it cheaply. And that's the important one as well. Like a whole lot of hassle, paperwork, mistakes, errors out, there's still literal paper. I say paperwork. There's literal paper being used in a whole lot of these things, which you kind of think if you're not in the industry, you wonder how that's even possible these days, but it is. And that's WiseTech's opportunity. So uh, I agree with Chris. I, I like the the opportunity for the business. I like the industry. The shares aren't cheap. It does have to do quite a bit to justify the current valuation. It's been growing super quickly uh, organically and by acquisition. Interesting, of course, WiseTech's had a uh, check it record in the press. Uh, and, and with the public markets, famously was a short candidate not that long ago. Um, there is still plenty that needs to be done by Wise to, to justify the current valuation. I like the company. I like the, the opportunity it's got. I'm going to say a hold. Uh, I wouldn't sell it if I owned it. I certainly don't think it's a, it's a terrible company in the slides or a terrible investment. At 88 times earnings, you're asking a lot to be done just to become reasonably valued. And then growth from there to keep up with or beat the market. If anyone can do it, it probably is WiseTech. If you've got a bit more risk tolerance, if you want to take some risk, this is one of the better ones to do it with. Uh, For me, just a little bit too spicy at the current price, given the current outlook. But, you know, again, I I wouldn't wouldn't be at all surprised if this is a market beat over the next five or ten years. I'm just not sure enough to call it a buy, but definitely one given Chris's recommendation to keep on the watch list and potentially buy if you get the opportunity at a cheaper price.
1: All right. Fair enough. Let's head to the battery metal space. Of course, that has been on fire over the past year or so, has come off quite a bit just recently, of course. Lake Resources. Carl wanted to know about this one. Uh, short, medium and long term projections had a very good run. Should Carl hold or move to another sector completely or perhaps another lithium miner, perhaps a junior? Uh, and interestingly, too, it has just uh, Uh, come up with some non-binding MOUs with Ford and also with a a major Japanese partner at the same time. So Scott, we know how popular this sector has been in recent times, so what do you make Hmm. of Lake
2: Resources in this space? Extraordinarily popular, Andrew. This is a $2.4 billion business with 10 years of losses behind it. If you can keep those two numbers in your head at the same time, it's a remarkable story. And it goes to the optimism. Uh, you talk about the, the battery metals business being on fire. We can't use the words on fire and batteries at the same time. The EV people will come looking for you. Uh, but uh, but it's, 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 worth, it's worth thinking about what this story is about. We know, of course, that EVs are a remarkable growth story and poll alone. Putting 121 charging stations around the country by September 2023. That's their plan. I'm a little bit skeptical whether they get there in that size at that time. But anyway, the, the direction is clear. Ampol, one of Australia's largest oil retailers, saying this is going to be over at some point. We want to be where the growth is, that's EVs. So even those who aren't directly in this space, the ones who have the most to gain by refusing to move, refusing to change, they're you know, sticking your head in the sand, circling the wagons, choose your metaphor. These guys are saying, you know what? We see the future, it's coming, we want to be there. And so if you're invested in lithium, you're saying, well, I see that future too. I want to be a big part of that. I will say when anyone signs a non-binding MOU, the most important word there is non-binding, or hyphenated words, non-binding, which means it doesn't actually count for anything. Um, I can sign a non-binding MOU with anybody in the world and be completely able to simply walk away from it. It's a nothing statement, a nothing deal. Now I, I, I'm saying that a little bit flippantly. Yes, you've got to have the relationships. You've got to prove to the, the the manufacturers you are a reliable supplier. It's worth doing. There's nothing in it for Ford if they don't. You know, there's no reason to sign the MOU if there's, if there's no opportunity or no likelihood that it will be acted upon. But if it's non-binding, it's simply non-binding. Right? All the goodwill in the world doesn't pay the bank and it doesn't pay shareholders' dividends. It's not going to pay uh, lithium, uh, uh, Lake Resources sorry for their lithium. So be very, very cautious. The story itself of EVs is going to be the story of the 2020s. But we also know, and I've said this before, over the last century, the price of oil, despite the fact the volume went up uh, millions, millions, of percent literally from you know barrels a day to thousands and thousands tens of thousands of barrels a day over the, the last century. during that time the price inflation adjusted went up by about two and a half times and that's it literally it And the point there is that if there is a growth in the use of lithium but there's an equal growth in the supply of lithium well guess what that equilibrium means the price doesn't move on the flip side if there is a restraint or constraint with the supply then maybe the price goes through the roof. But you've got to have a review not just of the demand side that's the easy one and most people get that more evs more batteries more lithium get it mm-hmm. but what's the supply response and that's the key one because i think there is a very real risk a lot of people get left holding the baby when if there's a supply response where the price stays where it is or falls a 2.4 billion dollar lithium mine and i'm not making a profit gets very expensive if the lithium price holds or falls and they can't make it up in volume so for me i'm saying well and truly away from this i hope evs are the future i hope lithium-powered batteries are the future frankly i hope lake resource shareholders do really really well but those hopes aren't investment strategies so i'd be staying away from this one
1: all right okay so in other words you sort of missed the boat uh on that uh on that play uh you're thinking then scott uh chris what are your thoughts then
0: yeah, Scott and I have talked about uh, lithium miners on the show before. And uh, Scott's example of oil is very good. And I always follow it up by saying there is no shortage of lithium in the world. Everyone <laughs> needs to remember this. There is a shortage of lithium production. And that will change because the price incentive. So with lithium at the prices that it is at now, of course, everyone's falling all over themselves to have a great story like, like, like resources. Um, sell that to the market and then bring that production to market as well. We're also potentially, again, leveraging what Scott was saying, at potential peak forecast demand for lithium. You know, we're all expecting that lithium demand is going to be absolutely through the roof and we're at the low point for supply. Not like every other commodity over the history of time, that supply and demand imbalance will, will, um, will come back into equilibrium at some point. Uh, and again, like I said, that's just a slightly different way of saying the exact same thing Scott was saying. So, so we, we agree on this one. Now, for the individual company, Lake Resources, again, I, I quite like the story. I like the, um, uh, the non-binding MOUs. Yes, they are non-binding, but again, a step in the right direction. Um, Lake Resources actually produces uh, high purity lithium. Uh, it's a different process than the typical brine and hard rock lithium production methods. So there might be some greater ESG benefits there. And that's the whole point of this EV push is, uh, you know, making sure that it's environmentally friendly. Um, now, just with specific regard to Carl's questions, if you've written this one so far, I don't really see any point jumping off. You might as well keep writing this one. If you wanted to look at an alternative, Liontown Resources is one that here at Marks Today. Uh, you know, Henry in particular has had a look at and quite likes uh, they're building uh, their mine. They've actually got the funding for it. They did a capital raising recently. So they're a little bit further ahead in terms of the production curve. And then if you want to go back the other way, AVZ Minerals is one that's far more speculative. So there's plenty of these miners all up and down the the specula- the, the, the curve, the speculation curve. Um, it just depends for Carl where he wants to be. But no, if you've ridden this yep. one so far, it's going to be the rising tide that lifts all boats.
1: All right, so a hold at best then for Lake from you. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, we better uh, pick up the pace. Uh, running out of time. Um, Macquarie, of course, uh, The uh, we know what it does. Uh, JP Morgan, in fact, uh, tipping a good profit result. That comes May 6th at the end of the week. Um, hasn't provided full year guidance. Uh, revenue also boosted by Macquarie Capital Division,
0: of course. Chris. Yeah, I'll keep this short and sweat. must be throwback Tuesday. Scott was talking about writing about Rex when he first started Motley. This was the first stock I covered at Marcus today, uh, back in 2018. Uh, and I've been a bull on it ever since. I'm still a bull now. It was 115 at the time. It's north of 200 now. Uh, an exceptional company, exceptional management. I love what they've done with their asset management business. They were running five hundred and thirty five billion back in twenty eighteen. It's now about seven hundred and fifty billion. Uh results expected to be pretty good this Friday. Full pro- full year profit of four point five billion. Uh one point five billion coming from Aquality Capital and about nine hundred and forty million coming from the asset management business. So a buy and a buy and a buy for me. All
2: right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty definitive then. Scott.
2: I'm going to end up in the same place from a different direction, Andrew. Uh, Here's the thing about Macquarie, right? There are some really, really smart, capable people, beautifully incentivized alongside shareholders to deliver for them the results that maximize value for both the company's staff and for shareholders. They find a way to make money. And I know that sounds almost you know, neglectful as, as an investment thesis. But at the end of the day, when your key assets walk in and out of the business every day, when they come to work, and they probably say every day, probably is most days, Saturdays <laughs> so and Sundays, you know what they say, if you don't come to work on Saturday, don't bother coming to work on Sunday. Um, it, it's, it's one of those businesses that just, they are so driven to make money for themselves and their shareholders. It does potentially lend itself to excess risk taking. We certainly saw that with Babcock and Brown back in the day. For those who remember that business, it's possible to get in over your head. So that's always one to keep on the watch list or the risk list, I should say. Um, But when it comes to these guys making money for themselves and for their shareholders, that sort of alignment is beautiful. They have refined and basically kind of revolutionized the Macquarie model two or three times over the last couple of decades as they found new and different ways of making money. They find a new one, leave one behind, move on to something else. Um, Trading desk in the US now, they've got uh, green investments in the UK. They are simply going to find a way to use their money and other people's money to make money for themselves and shareholders that is a very 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 powerful business model as long as you keep an eye on the risk as long as you keep an eye on what they're doing and how they're doing it and you factor that into your investments as always consider it part of a diversified portfolio because there is not a zero risk that someone or a group of people blow macquarie up in the wrong circumstances very small risk i think but still a risk we need to acknowledge um yeah i think macquarie is a buy it's just simply too good a business run by people who are too good at what they do uh, to leave this one on the shelf all right, okay, a double buy then uh for
1: Macquarie. To our ninth stock of the day, Imogen. Uh Greg wanting to know about this. The oncology research group, it has in fact entered a trading halt. Uh it's announced the mm. termination of a supply agreement with MSD now, that's the trading name of Merck, uh, saying it's continuing with its clinical trials to evaluate safety and efficacy of its uh, Hervax and B cell activating immunotherapy in patients uh, with positive gastric cancer in combination with its anti-pd1 therapy um, so scott this is always difficult in this space isn't it um, a lot of these companies and what they do there's a bit
2: yeah. hit and miss remarkably difficult andrew because here's the thing every biotech has super smart scientists all trying to solve the world's biggest medical problems and we know that most of them won't be able to do it they take a a, a bet on a particular technology or on a particular therapy and hope they can commercialize it, hope they can prove it out and then commercialize it to make some money for shareholders. That is a long, incredibly rocky, narrow road and most simply don't make it to the end. So the odds are against you when you start. The flip side is if you do make it, there are almost untold riches at the end of that particular road if you can navigate it. And as I said, most of the people who do this aren't even doing it for the money. They are scientists who say, I've got a really great idea. Maybe we can use immune therapy to help treat cancer as they do in this case. Wouldn't that be spectacular? And we all say, yes, absolutely. But will it necessarily get there? For every drug that I said that gets finally approved and commercialized and used in large numbers, there are dozens and dozens that simply don't. What most small biotechs want is the relationship with someone like Merck that unfortunately immunogenesis had canceled. They want that relationship to take those products to market and to drive sales and profits higher. That That's almost the holy grail for a single drug or, or a couple of drugs. A biotech, you want that relationship. You want that offtake agreement. You want to make sure you have the relationships in place to commercialize your discoveries or your developments. Unfortunately for Eugene, as you say, it's been knocked back. That's not going to be good news for the share price, not going to be good news for the company's reputation. They all continue to try and prove this out and good luck to them. The problem is the share price now applies, at least before the trading halts lifted a market cap of $1.1 billion. Now, if I said to you tomorrow, here's a billion dollars. Do you want to buy a, a drug maker and hope that maybe it, it does really well? You'd almost certainly say a billion dollars. Where's the justification for that? And so you are, this is very much in hopes and prayers land, not about Imogen at all, about all these different drug makers given those odds. If you're going to be in this space, you want to have a big, big basket of them, right? You want to pick five, seven, 10, 12 of these guys and and basically spread your risk across a group of biotechs. Single individual companies, as I said, the odds are stacked against them. So I can't make this a buy. Um, If I owned the shares, I probably would sell them. That being said, I wouldn't have bought them in the first place. So if you've got a very different approach to your investment style and you're looking for this sort of risk, then by all means, take it. Just know that you are really, really up against it Um, risk-wise. I would absolutely not buy this one. Not because it can't do well, just because the probability isn't great. I think most shareholders in most biotechs will lose money, and that's not a great starting point. We talked about airlines earlier. Uh, Biotechs are airlines on steroids from that perspective, unfortunately. Okay, Chris here, what are your thoughts on biotech and in particular Imogene?
0: Yeah, again, like Scott, I can't find a a way to buying this one. Losing the deal with uh, Merck, you know, a big name brand pharmaceutical company, global pharmaceutical company, uh, set the share price down 14% yesterday and then a trading halt today uh, with no, at least as far as I could see, further explanation on what that uh, announcement might pertain to. Like they didn't say it was related to a capital um, movement or something like that. So um, we're all waiting to see how it turns out. Um, just, just if I could be slightly positive for those people that might be out there holding it, they do already have a patent in Japan uh, and they've got a patent in China as well. So that ha- it has been through some formal processes um, uh, and been uh, granted a patent. So um, for anyone who's still holding it, you know it's been a rough ride, 60 cents in from November into sub-20 now. Um, not a stock that I can buy, but like I said, there's maybe um, some hope for, for people who are holding it out there. Okay, potential hold then.
1: All right, let's round it out with Booktopia. Uh, Heather wanting to know about this one. It has warned of slowing sales. The share price has come off around half since the beginning of the year. Uh, Revenue and profit impacted by COVID lockdowns, particularly in Sydney. And the chief executive and founder is stepping down. Chris.
0: Yeah, it's been, again, a very, very rough ride. Uh, And the um, CEO stepping down yesterday uh, Tony Nash seems to. It well, didn't see. It didn't fall sharply yesterday, but it's fallen sharply today. I think I was looking at it earlier. It was down around 20%. Um, it's a company that has been growing reasonably well. It's making profit. It's growing revenues. I mean, the profit was smashed um, because of COVID and the increased costs. But it is a company that's making money. But it's ex-pandemic. You know, we were all sitting at home ordering a lot of books. Now we're out going to restaurants again and uh, breathing in the fresh air and. Uh, it's going to be a harder and harder environment, again, with rising interest rates and people counting their dollars. So um, just from a macro environment perspective, more than anything else, again, this is not, not a company that I would buy, It'd be a company that I would sell based on the way the share price has been performing.
2: Okay. Um. Scott? Yeah, you said it's down half this year, uh, more than half, and in fact, down from $3 in August, September last year, to $0.47, cents, 25 cents the current fall as we speak. Um, it's a really, really tough business. Here's the challenge. You're you're trying to take Amazon on at its own business. Booktopia's best uh, selling point is it's Australian rather than those who who don't want to shop from Amazon being a US company. Fair enough. I own Amazon shares for the record too, I should say. So uh, not only have I put my money where my mouth is, but you could consider me biased if you want to take that view, which is completely fine. Um, Booktopia's lost money last year. It's going to lose money again this year in that announcement. And uh, to Chris's point, the costs were up. So revenue's up a little bit, sales up a little bit. The the operating, um, the revenue uh, metrics look pretty good. The problem is that the cost per unit has gone up meaningfully. And again, Chris already talked to that. This is the challenge with Booktopia. Can it get to scale? If you're a single or relatively single category retailer in a small market like Australia and you're competing against multi-category retailers like Kogan, I own shares in Kogan as well, or multi-category, multi-geography players like Amazon, um, I, I don't know what sequence of... Uh, circumstance you need to be a sustainable business. There again, a little bit like like um, Yoji, Maybe we're looking at a buyer of Booktopia at some point. Maybe a Kogan Booktopia deal or a Booktopia or Amazon deal or something else. Uh, I, I just don't love the competitive dynamic of the company. And given it's also not making money right now, there's a lot of hurdles to clear. If I own the shares, I would have sold them ages ago. Um, I'd, I'd be selling now. It doesn't mean it can't come back. Uh, but you're, you're you're the smallest guy in the in the fight. Um, against much, 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 much bigger international businesses, no clear path to my mind uh, mm. for sustained profitability. I'd be, I'd be giving this one a very wide berth. All right, that is a double sell on Booktopia. here. All
1: right, let's uh, sum up where we've been for the second half of the show. We began with Wise Tech, uh, Chris um, saying he does like it, the current price comes it's come back from sixty to forty-two dollars. He's got a buy on it. Uh, Scott saying it still looks expensive, may not necessarily be so, but he's got a hold on it. Lake Resources uh, in the lithium space. Uh, As Scott's saying, look, we know what's going on with EVs, incredible growth there, but uh, this comes down to supply and demand. There is, as Chris points out, no lithium shortage at this point. There's a no from Scott, a hold from uh, Chris McQuarrie, both uh, wrapped with it. Chris remains a bull on it. It's a buy. Uh, Too good a business, says Scott. Also a buy from him. Uh, Imogene there, difficult space, uh, biotech. Uh, Scott's saying he's got a sell on it. Uh, Not good news as far as its uh, termination of supply agreement with Merck. Uh, Chris, uh, he's got a hold on it at best. And Booktopia, well, it has been hit hard. It is losing money. It is a double sell from both. All right, that is the show for today. Guys, thanks for joining us. Chris from Marcus Today and Scott from Motley Fool. Thanks, guys.
2: Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Chris.
1: Alright, any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email the call at osbiz.com.au or you can tweet us at osbiztv and a reminder where to find the stocks we have in the calls portfolio. You can head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio.